This is Histories and Mysteries. I'm one of your hosts, Ashley, and this is... Jessica. And on today's episode, Ashley is going to be talking about H.H. Holmes, which I'm super excited about. And I'm going to be actually diving into not a two-part, but a three-part series on vampires now because I found way too much information. So (laughs) I'm splitting it up. (laughs) We didn't want to deprive the people of the vampires. No, it's such interesting history. So I didn't want to. Yeah, I'm super excited leave anything out <laughs> yeah i am excited yeah so we are continuing our spooky season and Woo-hoo. um like she said i'm doing hh holmes who's also known as america's first serial killer um this man was i mean there's no there's no doubt about it he was a sociopath like he had no feelings whatsoever so it's a very interesting ride we'll be taking with him he's very fascinating he is he is and he's actually like one of the things i'll talk about is he was really charming and he's actually really handsome and there's well, a couple pictures of him colors mostly <laughs> true there's a couple pictures of him out there um one like the most common picture of him he's like got a big old mustache i'm not a big mustache fan so for me it's like meh and his little bowler hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there's another one of them where it's like, oh, okay, okay, I see it. <laughs> I see him with like a giant mustache in all of his photos. Yeah, I mean, he had a mustache in this one too, but it just wasn't as like straight on his face, like mustache. Like I see a side profile one of him with like curly hair and short hair, not wearing a bowler hat. Yeah, I think maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. With a bow tie. I like bow ties. Me too. <laughs> He's not bad looking. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I got my information from biography.com, crimemuseum.org, um, a, like just a little bit of, from exploredallashistory.com um, because one of his victims was from Dallas. Um And then this really awesome documentary called H.H. Holmes, America's First Serial Killer. Um, It was really, really good. And side note, it was narrated, and I heard the voice, and I was like, I know that voice. Um, His name was Tony J. And he has been doing acting and voice acting since 1968. Um, I think he recently passed away. But he was, you're going to recognize his voice in one of these. He was the narrator of Treasure Planet. Um, He played the bad guy on The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, Frollo. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He was a gargoyle in the TV series Gargoyle, which may have been before your time, Jessica. Do you remember Gargoyles? No. However, my sister put it on Disney Plus the other day because she used to love that show. Oh, I did too. A little older than me. Like, she's five years older than I am. So, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was just maybe a tinge before your time, but I loved that show. Yeah. She's like around your age because I'm 27. So, gotcha. Yeah. Um, He was also a bad guy on Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Do you remember that one or is that before your time too? Probably. The With Dean Kane. Yeah, I know. I wasn't like really into Superman as it was, as it is. So, oh, gotcha. I was obsessed with that show. I never missed it. I loved it. 
Um, he also played a Grim Reaper in the uh, cartoon Darkwing Duck, which I loved. And this is probably the one that most people would know him from. He was in Beauty and the Beast, and he played Monsieur de Arc. I don't know. He was the one that tried to take Maurice away to the mental hospital, and okay. it was like real creepy. Yeah, so his voice is a really creepy voice, so it was really awesome for this documentary. Good. Yeah. Um, but let's get into AJ Holmes now, now that I'm done talking about Tony J. <laughs> <laughs> um, so AJ Holmes, his actual name was Herman Webster Mudgett. Um <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> um, but he changed it to Henry Howard Holmes. Or as we know him, H.H. Holmes. And part of the reason why they think he changed it is because he was a a petty criminal. He did a lot of con jobs. And so when he moves to Chicago, I think he was trying to kind of hide from some of those con jobs. Um, But he was born in 1861, which, I don't know, it really surprised me. I thought this happened like... A much longer time ago, but it was like in 1861, which is not that that long ago. 1861, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why. For some reason, I was picturing like the 1700s or like the early 1800s. You know, I was. I always pictured the early 1800s. Okay. Yeah. So he was 1861. Um, he was born into privilege, and he was said to be extremely intelligent. But because of this intelligence and the fact that his mother was extremely religious um, and they said his father was a strict disciplinarian. So, I mean, let your imagination go with that. Um, So he was probably extremely smart, probably just a little bit different than the other kids. He was really badly bullied in school. Um. At one point, they dragged him, the kids in school dragged him, kicking and screaming, to this doctor's office, which I'm not really sure how they even got in, but somehow they got into the doctor's office, and they, like, threw him in front of the doctor's, like, skeleton. You know, like, a lot of doctor's offices have those skeletons. Yep. And he was terrified of it. Oh. Um, and for some reason, I don't I don't know why he was terrified of it, but um, this really, like, scarred him, and... He said that it helped him to get over that fear, but I think, because you'll see later on, um, he does a lot around doctor skeletons, so I think that this really had a huge impact on his life. Um, So, like I said, Holmes started out just kind of as a petty criminal, conducting small cons here and there to make money. as we discussed in the beginning, he was very charming. He was really kind of able to talk his way out of things and, you know, talk his way into things. He attended the University of Michigan. Gross. Uh, I went to Michigan State University. Go green. But uh, he attended their medical school where he started his first big con. So as a medical student, he had access to a lot of cadavers And these cadavers were donated to science, obviously, so therefore they wouldn't have family members looking for him. So what he would do, this is actually kind of genius, again, if he could have used his intelligence for good. But um, 
So uh, apparently back then it wasn't hard to take out an insurance policy on someone. Um, apparently you could just take it out on whoever you wanted. So he would take an insurance policy out on these people that he knew. And then he would fake their death and use a cadaver as their body. So he would like burn the cadaver or make it like unrecognizable and be like, oh, yeah, that's that's George. And hey, you know what? I had an insurance policy out on him and he would get. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know, like, who he was taking these insurance policies out on, like, if they were friends or, like, acquaintances or what, um, but he would pretend like they died and use a cadaver in their place. Um, and he seemed to get away with this, uh, because he graduated, no problem, graduated medical school, which this documentary said that that's really, really unusual for serial killers to graduate school, not because they're not smart enough, because usually they are extremely intelligent, um, but because they just don't have the drive to do so. But he did. So he graduated medical school. Yeah. And he moved to Chicago where he got his first job at a pharmacy. And the man he worked for, uh, suspiciously a few months later, died of natural causes i'm using air quotes here um and left the business to his wife but holmes convinced her to sell the business to him and then she disappeared and was never found again either um he said she moved to california but the story was never confirmed and knowing what we know about hh holmes i can pretty much guarantee he probably killed her and her husband to get the um, pharmacy um, so during this time at the pharmacy, he was involved in several scams. He would scam creditors. He would, uh, sell phony inventions. One invention was he would sell what he called mineral water elixir, but it was just tap water. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he was making a lot of money that way. It reminds me of a uh, Sweeney Todd. Yes. Yes. Yeah. With the. Pirelli's Miracle Elixir. Uh-huh. Smells like <laughs> yep. piss. Pits with ink. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, um, so because of these scams and the money he was making, he was able to buy an empty lot across the street, which is where he would build his murder castle. And he would hire and Fire several contractors and several construction workers so that no one ever really knew what the plan was for this house. So, like, he would hire someone to put up a wall, and then they would put up the wall and he would fire them. And then he would hire someone else to put up a staircase, and then he would fire them. So, he was, like, going through workers so that no one ever knew the true final plan of this murder castle. Um, also, random... Fun fact, during this time, uh, this is when Jack the Ripper became really notorious over in London. Nice. I'm excited to cover him at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for that one, too. He's so interesting. And just the fact that they never found him is just crazy. He's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, So this castle uh, was actually dubbed castle by um, the Chicago people because it was so big. Um, the first floor held different businesses, such as like a barber shop. There was a blacksmith shop, stuff like that. The third floor contained rentable rooms, um, Holmes's room, and like some business offices that you could rent out. 
but the second floor. The second floor contained 35 rooms, um, and many were designed as killing rooms. There was an asphyxiation room where it could be locked down airtight, and he could... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Where you, like, put gas in it. What do you mean? <laughs> like, it's like a gas chamber. Like he. Yeah, I keep wanting to say siphon gas, but not siphon. No, but you would like, seep it in. Seep in gas. Thank you. <laughs> seep in gas. Couldn't think of the word. <laughs> okay, so um, an asphyxiation room, which he could make airtight, and then he would seep in gas um, and basically, you know, suffocate them. And he could watch. There's, like, peepholes for him to watch. Uh, he would have trap doors that had uh, chutes that were greased up that led to the basement so he could just throw bodies down there. He had numerous staircases and doorways that led to nowhere so that if a victim did get loose, they would not be able to escape easily. And the basement was even worse because this was his torture area. Um, down in the basement, he had... Uh, not only the, like I said, the torture area, but also the areas where he would dispose of the bodies. So he had acid vats, uh, where he could, you know, disintegrate bodies. He had a lye area where he could also disintegrate bodies using lye. He had a crematorium where he could burn bodies. Uh, he had a stretching table which he called the elasticity determinator so that he could create a race of giants. Ew. Yeah, but what a obviously. Whack that, I know, right? Uh, obviously, he didn't create a race of giants. He just killed people. Yeah. Uh, he, would also, he also had a table down there that he would use to dismember bodies. And he would clean the bodies and dismember them so that they were nothing more than skeletons. He would mount their bones and then sell the skeletons to medical schools and universities. Ironic that he used to be scared of skeletons. Right. Exactly. So thanks to those little jerk kids, (laughs) they made him not afraid of skeletons. And he was able to do this. Yeah. Um, and a little bit later, I'll tell you how much he made off of these skeletons, and it's a pretty good price. Not saying that I endorse this, but dang. Endorse it. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, don't murder people for their skeletons. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> um, so, at this point in time, he meets a man named Benjamin I'm going to say his name wrong. They said it a million times in the documentary. I'm still going to say it wrong. It's like Pizzo. So I'm just going to call him Benjamin from now on. I'm going to just call him Pizza. Pizza! <laughs> uh, oh, man, now I want pizza. We just had pizza what? for dinner. Uh, Okay, let's see. All right. So poor Ben was kind of a failure at life. <laughs> Like, in the um, documentary, they said he walked around with, like, a black cloud over him. But that's a nice way of just saying he kind of failed at life. Uh, He (laughs) couldn't keep a job. He was arrested several times for, like, larceny and forgery, stuff like that. Uh, But he was married with five children. 
And he was also an alcoholic um, to the point where he began drinking so heavily that you could like they showed a picture of him before and after. And there's a notable physical difference in him from his drinking. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, But he still wanted to provide for his family. So he found an ad for a carpenter and decided to take the job. And the carpenter was for none other than H.H. Holmes. Unfortunate. Um, Yeah. He and Holmes became partners in crime, just like doing their petty little crime stuff like that. Oh, I was Um, like, I never heard about that. Yeah. (laughs) Doing the petty crimes. Um, And he kind of became his right-hand man. He was, Benjamin was really tall, really kind of stocky, whereas Holmes was like smaller, just like a little bit more petite. So Benjamin was kind of like his, you know, his his heavy arm there. How do you spell Benjamin's last name? Uh, I think it's P-I-T-E-Z-E-L. I just want to try and see if there's a picture of him. Oh, yes. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Huh. He's not bad looking. No, he's not. Um. And so they actually became really close friends. And Holmes even became pretty close with his family, going over and like having dinner with them, and um ca- came to become fond of his children. And um. Oh, my notes didn't make sense. I'm like, what is happening? It's like, that sentence doesn't make sense. But, um, yeah, so they became really close and uh, became buddies and partners in crime and partners in work and all that good stuff. Well, in 1893, the Chicago World Fair came to Chicago. Obviously, since it's the Chicago (laughs) World Fair. (laughs) And his castle was only a few miles from the fair area so it was like a perfect place for tourists to stay and it was a perfect victim hunting ground for Holmes because they were mostly tourists um so he could pick them off one by one and nobody would really miss them because their families knew they went to Chicago and then that was about it you know they didn't have like the cell phones like we have nowadays stuff like that so um they said a lot of times he would go to the fair look for senior women um and say hey you know what why don't you come senior women excuse me that flaunted their money because he wanted them to have money and he'd be like hey why don't you come back to uh my castle and stay here you know for a night or whatever and then they would never leave nice yeah um so Like I said, in his room in the castle, he had access to these gas pipes that would seep the gas into the rooms. um, And he would turn them on, lock them in their rooms, and then watch them suffocate to death from a peephole. And like I said before, also, apparently he was quite the ladies' man. He, at one point, had three wives without any of them knowing about each other. Um... One woman named Julia Connor, who was Holmes's employee and mistress, um, she lived in the castle with her daughter and soon became pregnant with Holmes's child. Uh, she told Holmes that he needed to marry her now that she was pregnant, and he said he would, but only if she would let him perform an abortion on her. Oh. 
She agreed. Oh, no. And she and her daughter disappeared. Oh. A week later, he sold a skeleton to a college. I wonder whose that was. Interesting. So he sold the skeleton for $200 and adjusted for inflation. That would be $5,720 today. Holy crap. Yeah. So he got about five, uh, almost six grand for that skeleton. Wow. Again, don't murder people for skeletons, but that's insane. <laughs> Um, in 1892, he met Emmeline Seagrand, uh, and employed her as his secretary, and she also kind of became his girlfriend, and he sent her into a vault to receive, retrieve some papers. Uh, when she went in, he locked her in and watched her suffocate. Two weeks later, another college received a female skeleton. Hmm. And so, like, at this point, he's just... Killing for the heck of it. Like, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, in 1893, a lady named Minnie Williams, who was the one from Dallas, became his new secretary and eventually his newest girlfriend. Uh, Minnie was different, though, because she was the beneficiary beneficiary of a property in Fort Worth, Texas, worth over $40,000. So, again, adjusted for inflation, um, it's about $1.14 million. Wow. So, Holmes quickly murdered her (laughs) and uh, also her younger sister after Minnie had signed the property over to Holmes. And so, yeah, and so I was kind of looking into her a little bit more because I was like, well, why would she sign the property over to him? Yeah. And... (laughs) One of the websites said that she was plain looking, so she was just, like, happy to be with someone, which, that's rude. Um, I love those comments. <laughs> I know. Gosh. Um, but it does seem like it was just kind of like any other abusive relationship where he took control yeah. and she kind of did whatever he told her to do. And he... <sighs> It was said that they were married. Uh, She thought she was married to him. But there were never any records of the marriage. So either the records were lost or Holmes just, like, set up a fake marriage. Which I wouldn't put it past him. Well, of course. Yeah. Um, And in 1894, he met a woman named Georgina Yoke. And she actually became his third wife. Like, actual marriage third wife for real. And, um, but he married her under a different name, Henry Mansfield Holland. Not really sure why, but he did. And she lived out her life. No issues there. She wasn't murdered. And apparently his two other wives, anyone that he like officially legally married, they were fine. They lived out their natural life. No problems. So apparently he, uh... Believed in the sanctity of marriage, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) That's weird. Yeah. Um, As time went on, Benjamin, Holmes's right-hand man, his drinking got worse and caused the two to argue most nights over money. And at this point, Benjamin knew of Holmes' murders and tortures. And as his drinking became worse, Holmes was afraid that he would let the information slip, like on a drunken binge or whatever. 
So at this point, Benjamin's life was doomed. You know, once Holmes was kind of worried about him, that was that was it. It was over. Yeah. Um, and somehow Holmes convinced Benjamin to take out a large insurance policy on himself and add his wife as the beneficiary. And then the plan was that they would stage Benjamin's death. Holmes would substitute a cadaver like he had previously done. Then Benjamin would disappear for a while only to resurface to collect the money and split it with Holmes. Uh, but, and I don't, I don't really understand how this works because I'm, I don't understand how insurance works, but for some, well, 1800s insurance, but for some reason, Benjamin had to die in Philadelphia where the insurance company was located. I'm not really sure if that has to do with like getting the claim faster. I don't really know. That's so weird. Yeah. So they decided to head to Philadelphia. Um, and during their trip, they, along the way, they were still committing, like, small crimes and cons and that kind of stuff. And um, I guess they kind of went all over. It took a couple months to get to Philadelphia. On the way, Holmes attempted to commit a con in St. Louis. But for the very first time, he was actually caught. Good. Yes. And he was put in jail. And this is essentially what will get him caught in the end so in his jail his cellmate was a notorious outlaw named Hedgepath that was his last name and Holmes told him about the insurance plan he cooked up not really sure why he would tell him that but he did and Hedgepath told Holmes about a crooked lawyer that would help him to collect the insurance money so Holmes said that he would send back $500 to Hedgepath for this referral once he got the insurance money so, keep that in mind. Okay. <laughs> um, he eventually was bailed out of jail, and he left and continued to Philadelphia. So, him and Benjamin finally reached uh, Philadelphia. I'm not really sure what Ben was doing while he was in jail. Probably just drinking. Um, Chilling like a but, villain. Yeah. But they got there, and they faked Benjamin's death. Um, but Holmes actually killed him. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So he dosed him with so much chloroform that it basically killed him, which I didn't know you could even do. No. And then he exploded the body. Oh. Yeah. Um, so in order for them to collect the money, both he and Benjamin's next of kin would have to identify him. Because you have to remember, this is, you know, back in the late 1800s, so they didn't do fingerprinting yet, dental records, that kind of stuff. So they had to rely on people identifying them. Um, At the time, Benjamin's wife was sick, and so were three of her other children. So she wanted the oldest to stay with them to help nurse all of them, so she sent the second oldest, Alice, with Holmes. So Holmes traveled back to Chicago picked up Alice, um, and then traveled back to Philadelphia with her. Um, And mind you, at this time, the wife still thought that Benjamin was just in hiding and was going to resurface soon. Um, So Alice and Holmes go to identify the body. And Alice never makes it home. Of course not. 
Yeah. Poor girl. Um, Holmes also convinces uh, Benjamin's wife that two of her other children should stay with their father because having that many kids would look like a red flag to the insurance company. Like, oh my gosh, you have so many kids that you have to feed. No wonder this guy would fake his death. Yeah. So Alice, the two other kids, and Holmes set off back to Philadelphia. Um, During their trip, Alice would write letters to her mom, um, which would help in the long run to catch him as well. So the insurance company... Uh, kind of looks into it and de- and rules the death an accident and pays out the policy to Benjamin's wife. But somehow Holmes manages to get a hold of most of the money. I'm not, they didn't really go into detail on how he did that. But again, he's very charming. He's very charismatic. I'm sure he came up with a bunch of lies. And um, he, so he's traveling around with their kids and he's supposed to rendezvous back with the wife and Alice. Now, one of the mistakes he made is that, remember how he promised to send Hedgepath $500? Yes. He never did. No kidding. And Right. And <laughs> Hedgepath read about Benjamin's death in the paper, so he knew it happened. Yeah. And he was like, hey, where the fuck's my money? Yeah. So he was pissed. And called the insurance company was like, yo, this was faked. He confessed it to me. (laughs) So the insurance company sent out these detectives known as the Pinkertons. And apparently these were like the detectives of the time. Yeah. They were known to track criminals all over the country if needed. They thwarted an early assassination attempt on Lincoln and even started using mugshots and creating, like, the database. Like, they were the first ones to really utilize that. That's cool. (laughs) Their slogan was, we never sleep. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) Are you a really good detective? (laughs) Um, In my own ways. (laughs) I should do a lot of research at work, so I guess it'll be (laughs) There you go. Um, so in 1894 in Boston, they finally caught up with Holmes and they arrested him. He was brought to Moyer Mincing Prison in Philadelphia and tried for a conspiracy to cheat and defraud the insurance company. Holmes pleads guilty, but insists that Benjamin committed suicide. He didn't murder him. He's like, yeah, we did the, you know, defrauding, but he actually committed suicide. Like, I did not murder him. Okay. But the one thing the court couldn't determine was, where were the kids? Yeah. They were supposed to be with him. Yeah. Right? So, apparently he kept making up different stories. Like, oh, well, they... One of the stories they said he made up was that they wa- they were staying with their father, but their dad was dead. That's what the court case was about. So, I'm yeah. not really sure how that one works. But he kept making up different stories. Um, And so, they finally assigned a detective to the case that was going to follow Holmes's path to see if he could, like, locate where the kids were. Yeah. And he used the letters that Alice wrote to her mom to track the path because she would write, like, what city they were in at the time. Yeah. And Holmes was an idiot, and he never sent them to her mother, so he had all of them. So when he was arrested, they confiscated all those letters, so they had them right there to track the path that he took. Oh, good. Yes. And during the detective's 
journey, he managed to find all three bodies of the children. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, And so after they found the bodies, everything kind of went downhill for Holmes because they were like, oh, so you murdered these children. Like, what else are you doing? And that's when the Chicago police decided to search the castle. Good. Yes. Um, They found his torture chambers. They found bones that he didn't sell. They found his acid vats. They found his wooden dissection table covered in blood. They found women's undergarments covered in blood. And every other dark and evil thing that Holmes had in this castle. I mean, they found everything. Wow. Um, And the bones and the blood were really hard to identify because, again, we're talking the late 1800s forensics. Uh, One lady on the documentary said that they had a hard time even determining if the bones were human or animal. And Holmes did have a mixture of both in his basement. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah. So I don't know what he was doing with those poor animals, but there were bones of both in there. And um, their their science was so rudimentary at that time, the forensic science field, that they struggled to even determine if they were human. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> people like us, you and me, Jessica, who are sick, <laughs> wanted to visit the castle. That's difficult. <laughs> and... Um, they some people wanted to turn it into a murder museum, which again yeah, I can see you and there. I both going to. <laughs> I would totally go. But exactly. But some citizen didn't want to see it turn into this and he ended up burning it to the ground. Oh, what a rude jackass. Yeah. Which in the long run is probably for the best because I can't even imagine the amount of evil that was inside that castle. Yeah, but like imagine how fascinating it would be to see that in person and not just have to like read about it or listen to it. Like you could actually yeah. see these different rooms. Like it would be so fascinating. It really would. Yeah. But it's gone. Burnt it to the ground. Yeah. Um, while Holmes is in jail. <laughs> He writes an autobiography called Holmes's Own Story. Okay. Where he basically tried to vindicate his name. He's like, I didn't do any of this. Okay. Yeah. Um, Did you read but it? But he obviously... Huh? Did you read it? No, I did I don't know if it's if you can, like, get it anymore. You know what I mean? Because it yeah. was so old. I, and I don't know if they made, like, published it or anything. Ugh, um. Too bad. Yeah. So, obviously, it didn't matter. They didn't believe him. He went He went to court. Yes. And he basically turned the trial into a circus. On day one, he dismissed his counsel and said, I'm going to be the lawyer. Always like a smart idea. Right. I mean, these serial killers, they always think they're smarter than everyone. I look at Ted, Bund- Ted Bundy did the same exact thing. Yep. Um, And... Benjamin's wife takes the stand and she just starts sobbing. I mean, obviously, she lost her husband. She lost three of her children. Everyone in the courtroom is crying with her, including the judge. Like, it's a really sad moment, except for H.H. Holmes, who is not crying at all and is said to be doodling. Oh, fun. Yeah. Um. So Holmes' most recent ex-wife, that Georgina lady... Also testifies, and 
that's when Holmes starts bawling. Oh. And the guy in the documentary said, he's like, I think he did it because, like, everybody was bawling at Benjamin's wife's testimony. And, you know, he's not. And he looks up and he's like, oh, crap, I probably should have cried. I need to show him I have emotion. So then when his ex-wife comes up, then he's like, oh, it's so sad. Oh. Um, but it didn't work. And he is found guilty of murder in the first degree, which back then means hanging. Perfect. So he's going to get hanged. Good. Um, And this is weird. So before his death, while he was in jail, like awaiting the gallows, he was offered a lot of money to confess. Which, from, like, local newspapers, because they wanted his story. Which, like, why? Why does he need money? He's about to die. Yeah. But he decided to take it there up on their offer and confess to everything, including a few extra things. Well, I mean, it kind of goes along with that mentality of the serial killers, right? Like, they want to be known for what they did because they're so sadistic. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's true. Um, he did say that for the children, um, for the boy, he suffocated him and then cut his body into pieces and then burned it. For the two girls that were with him, he put them in a large uh, trunk, sealed it up, filled it with gas, and suffocated them. And then he dug graves and stripped them naked and buried them. That is such a weird way to, like, mass kill people. Yeah. Well, and it was weird because he had a quote about, like, nothing between their naked bodies but the ground or something like that. It was really Ew. odd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he also wrote that since his imprisonment, his features were changing, and he believed that he was going to resemble the devil. Okay. So, there's that. Um... So on the day of his execution, he was standing on the gallows and, you know, they say, you know, do you have any last words or whatever? And he recanted everything. He's like, oh, you know what? Actually, I didn't murder anybody. Oh, so just so you guys know. What but obviously, yeah, <laughs> it didn't matter. And he was hanged on May 7th, 1896 at the age of 34. Wow. Um, he started young. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, I think he was like nine days away from his 35th birthday. But yeah. He was, I mean, so he had to have done. No, I mean, but like he started young. Yeah. Yeah. Because he only was 35 when he died. So yeah. all that stuff happened earlier. Wow. Um, He requested that he be buried in a big slab on concrete so that his body and brain couldn't be studied. And he is thought to have killed at least nine people for sure. Up to 20 people or up to 200 people, it's been said. But there's really no way of telling exactly how many people he's killed. And I wanted to leave it on this quote from him. He said, I was born with the devil in me. I couldn't help the fact that I was a murderer no more than the poet can help the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor beside my bed where I was ushered into this world, and he has been with me ever since. Ew. And that's the story of H.H. Holmes. Good story. Thanks. I liked it. He's a little, Thanks. He's a little crazy pants. 
He's the third crazy pants. Don't like that. (laughs) Vampires. This is going to be my two-part, well, my second part of my (laughs) three-parter. Because, yeah, I found way too much information, so it's now no longer a two-parter. It's a (laughs) three-parter. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So they may be the best-known classical monster of all time. Like the vampire, like we see it yeah, everywhere so. in media everywhere. So I think mm-hmm. it's safe to say they're the most well known. <laughs> so as mentioned in last week's episode, most people attribute the start of vampires to our good pal Vlad Three <laughs> or Dracula. Yes. And our good just, pal. Yeah, our good old pal. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just going to recap a little bit on next on last week just to kind of set the basis for everything. Okay. Um, so from a young age, Vlad was being exposed to a lot of horrific crimes and violence. There was a war waging between the Muslim Ottomans and Christian Europe. So his land was in constant turmoil. He and his brother were then given as political prisoners by his father to the Ottomans so that their father could safely return home. So their dad was basically a dick. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, Father Vlad, whatever his name was, received some good old karma because he was overthrown by the boyars, <laughs> and him and his family were brutally murdered, leaving Dracula and his younger brother to be safe with the Ottomans. <laughs> <laughs> Vlad then returned to Wallachia and overtook the throne. Then. <laughs> Then had it taken back a few months later by the guy he overthrew. And then eight years later, he returned and he took back the throne and killed the dude on the throne. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> some little back and forth action there. And impaled a lot of people. <laughs> exactly. Because this is when his bloodthirst started. He started brutally murdering everyone. Putting them on stakes, <laughs> which is a wild power move. And yeah. Allegedly dripping, dipping, not dripping, uh, dipping his blood. (laughs) You'll get there. You'll get there. (laughs) Dipping his bread in their blood. (laughs) You got it. Yay. (laughs) Fifth time's the charm. (laughs) Ultimately, though, he faced a brutal death and that was that. So that was our little recap. (laughs) Yes. Um, So even though we associate the birth of vampires with Bram Stoker's Dracula, the history of the species is actually, like, it actually began long before him, obviously, because that's how he kind of got his inspiration. Mm -hmm. So let's get into their history, shall we? Yes. The main characteristic is that they feed off humans and drink their blood with their super sharp teeth. Through this process, they can either kill their victims by draining them completely of their blood, or they can turn them into a fellow vampire, thus weirdly creating a friend for themselves. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, it's very hard to make friends, so. I just love how you wrote that. <laughs> weirdly creating a friend for themselves. <laughs> When I do my notes, I put my thoughts in brackets. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm usually doing my notes at like three in the morning. So 
I get some like weird slap thoughts. happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, they create some friends for them. <laughs> <laughs> Other main characteristics are that they can't go into the sunlight because it weakens or even hurts them. Some can turn into a bat. Some have super strength. Some have hypnotic powers and they can't see their image in a mirror. Which is really sad because how are they supposed to know if they look good or not? I don't like, know. There's tough right? to guess. Because like I understand that like the folklore is like, oh, vampires are beautiful, but like some of them are dead ass ugly. Like honestly. <laughs> like yeah. Ugh. So it's not fair. Well then they probably don't want to <laughs> see themselves, so that's true too. But I mean I wouldn't want to go without seeing myself. And I'm not like a vain person. But, like, I don't like when my power goes out because then I can't, like, see myself in the mirror and be like, oh, I look presentable enough to go out into the real world. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and one last characteristic is that they can't come into your home unless you say it's okay. So, stranger danger. <laughs> stranger danger. But, I mean, at least and some of them enough. sparkle. No, I wasn't going to get into that. I'm literally trying to avoid talking about that dreadful series. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's on you. Because <laughs> I said last time I wouldn't talk about it. So, <laughs> what kind of laugh was that? <laughs> vampires exist ashley no no okay well that was disappointing <laughs> i mean i've seen like i've watched documentaries on like people who think they're vampires and like energy vampires and stuff like that but um no i'm sorry if i'm offending anybody no but i don't believe that they're real. that's your belief so it's fine um okay well there's this crazy superstition that grew in the Middle Ages, especially after the plague destroyed entire towns. Um, mm. Why? Why? Oh, 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 okay. I get it now. Okay. <laughs> why do you ask? Did the superstition thrive during this time? Why do I write that way? Um, <laughs> why do you believe this superstition about vampires grew during this time period of the plague? Well, it's because the plague left people with bleeding mouth lesions, which to the uneducated of that time meant that they were for sure, for sure a vampire. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. yes. So essentially, if you had any unknown physical or emotional illness, you were going to be classified as a vampire. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So essentially, if you had any unknown physical or emotional illness, you were going to be classified as a vampire back in Perfect. this Perfect. Right? Very nice. <laughs> so I'd probably be classified as a vampire. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little unstable. <laughs> um, there are researchers that point to a blood disorder called porphyria. Which, when okay. exposed to sunlight, left the victim with severe blisters on their skin. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> but 
And a way to relieve this disease was to drink blood. Interesting. Yeah. So if you have this porphyria disease, you would need to drink blood to help you not hurt from the sunlight. (laughs) That doesn't sound like it's a medically sound treatment. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Um, So when someone who was previously thought to be a vampire died, their bodies were exposed and were searched for signs of vampirism. But I mean, if they died, they wouldn't have been a vampire, right? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, they were also staked through the heart to ensure that they remained dead, as the trunk was classified as, oh goodness gracious, as the chest was classified as the trunk of the body. So, like with a tree, you have to kind of cut. Gotcha. Right. So Okay. That's uh, it's a it's a pretty big leap they made, but yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and some people were even decapitated and burned to a crisp. Oh. And this was well into the nineteenth century, by the way. Oh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I thought it would have been like much earlier on, but it went yeah. fairly late. <laughs> wow. Another thing I found out which kind of makes sense is that some of the mouths of these diseased individuals were stuffed with garlic or with a brick. Okay. So. It's basically <laughs> two very different things. It's basically <laughs> so that like they couldn't close their mouths and kind of like escape or they couldn't bite somebody or whatever, right? And garlic is a deterrent to vampires, so Okay. Yeah. So very fascinating people thought real differently back then (laughs) yes they very much so did (laughs) if you failed to unearth a vampire and deal with them with whatever method you deemed best you just needed to carry salt around with you and if a vampire was chasing you all you needed to do was spill the salt behind you because it was a belief that the vampire would then need to stop and count each grain before continuing to pursue you. So <laughs> I suppose vampires are OCD maniacs now. Gotcha. There's that um creature that's like a I, I wanna say it's a um oh my gosh, the word is escaping me. It's a gullah. It's a gullah um, creature that comes and sits on you and paralyzes you at night. But if you put like a colander or like rice around your bed, they have to stop and count it. And then the sun comes up and they disappear. Oh, weird. Never even heard of them. Yeah. Interesting. But anyways, so yeah, they're OCD. Central. I don't know, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the most thoroughly documented case of vampirism came from a medical officer dispatched to a small village in Serbia in 1732. Forty villagers were exhumed and 13 bodies were found to be vampires. Oh, wow. Blood was coming out of their mouths, their nose, and where the stake had been plunged into their heart. This doctor was over... The body of a young peasant woman who was clearly a vampire <laughs> as she was quite complete and undecayed 
even though she had passed away a couple of months prior. Oh. Her blood had not coagulated and her internal organs were still intact and fresh. Further to this, her skin was described as being fresh and vivid. It is because of these observations that she had risen from the grave and feasted on the living, and that's why she was in such good shape for someone who had been deceased for so long. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know my new plan, my new healthcare plan. Exactly. Just feast on some blood. <laughs> <laughs> after these observations were made of this woman and the 12 others identified as vampires their heads were then removed and along with their bodies were all burned gotta make sure exactly the serbian villagers explained to the doctor that the first to be turned was a former soldier who had filed who had fled his post after a vampire there had been bothering him he then settled in their village he made a very oh my goodness gracious my dog is like on top of me so my laptop's a thousand miles away <laughs> he then settled in this village he met a very sudden and unexpected death villagers then stated they saw this deceased male wandering the village at night attacking some people and others oh. stated they saw him turn into a dog which apparently <laughs> is something vampires do although i've never heard of this they turn into dogs or yeah. just like animals in general? No, they turn into dogs or bats. Okay. Yes. So they saw him turning into a dog. I thought werewolves turned into wolves, but you know, whatever. Exactly. I know. I'm so confused by this. And I'm like, this is the first time <laughs> I've ever heard this. So <laughs> um, after this guy died, so this is why they thought that he was like a vampire. So after he died, more than 20 people had mysteriously died within a few months of each other in this village. It's alleged that this man, that this man, holy chipperoni, that this man <laughs> fed on humans and animals alike. The way others were supposedly turned in this village is that some were bitten and some ate the infected meat. I'm assuming it was Whoa. the animals the original dude had bitten. Okay. Um, that's my only logical way around that. <laughs> Sounds gross. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the villagers at this point were worried and made the decision that they were going to then drive a stake through the deceased man's heart, whereby he supposedly groaned and then bled profusely from the wound. Oh, sure, 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 yes. sure, sure. Yeah, exactly. The narrative <laughs> from the young doctor became the most circulated vampire narrative around the world, as vampirism was almost completely unknown to people before this time. So basically... If anything bad happened, whether it was a drought, a mass population was dying, etc., they blamed it on the vampires. Okay. Which so very similar later to on would be exactly. I was literally just about to say that. <laughs> later <laughs> on, they started blaming the witches. <laughs> um, Damn women. I know exactly. It is interesting <laughs> to note, however, that like how the minds of these people worked before medicine was further advanced so yeah. they created this wild phenomenon that is still prevalent in modern time simply because they didn't understand how decomposition worked or how disease was transmitted yeah so that's, science... that's a great point yeah so i'm gonna go into that a bit more because it's very fascinating um okay i'm gonna be quoting a lot because i didn't want to take anything away from the explanation by trying to paraphrase 
<laughs> and you are not a doctor, so I understand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the science behind decomposition is even misconstrued and misunderstood even today. So imagine what it was like back then when they knew almost nothing about the process. Yeah. So UCLA historian notes decomposition begins at about 50 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 10 degrees Celsius, and occurs most rapidly at temperatures ranging between 70 and 100 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 21 and 37 degrees Celsius. However, the temperature even just a few feet below ground is usually much lower, and decomposition occurs on average eight times more slowly than on the surface. In the case of this huh. Serbian village cemetery, it would therefore be unsurprising for bodies that were exhumed in January with average surface temperatures at just below freezing, or sorry, at just above freezing, to remain relatively intact for weeks or even months. Okay. Well, and that's why when you said that, that was my first thought is maybe she was placed in a refrigerator. Yeah. So it's basically because she died in the winter months, so... Gotcha. Okay. Furthermore, because the bacteria that causes decomposition feed on the protein-rich content of the blood, if there had been significant hemorrhage, as would occur in a violent death or a sudden accident, the process would be significantly slower as well. Hmm. This fact may have only reinforced these folk traditions, since it would be expected that violent or rapid deaths were somehow unnatural to begin with. However... The most common way that vampires were identified was when liquid blood was seen around the corpse's mouth, nose, or ears. It was commonly believed that vampires would so gorge themselves on blood that it would leak out after they'd returned to their grave. <laughs> yeah. That's usually what happens to me when I gorge myself on donuts. They leak out. Or your Danish. Or my Danish that I had to hide <laughs> the evidence. Yeah. <laughs> I do that with my I do that with my sea salt caramel donut. <laughs> well, the only reason why I had to hide the evidence is because I literally just ate another thing of Danish a couple <laughs> days ago. Oh my goodness, I love it. <laughs> so this guy goes on to state in actuality, during the normal process of decomposition, the lungs become loaded with a dark red sanguineous fluid. Ooh. And the brain liquefies. Mm. So depending on the orientation of this body, so like how they're positioned in their grave, this liquid would have leaked out as if it was acted on by the pull of gravity. Okay. I- ironically, individuals suspected of being vampires at the time of burial would usually be placed face down to make it harder for them to find their way to the surface. When these individuals were later exhumed... The red fluid in and around their mouth or nose would only confirm the original assumption. Mm-hmm. Because if they're facing down, the gravity pulls all that liquid out of them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Add, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so add to this the eruption of sanguineous fluid when a stake is hammered into their lungs, an event that can emit sounds from a low groan to a high pitched scream ah. as gases are forced outwards. And the interpretation, misinterpretation would be complete at that point. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. Like they don't really understand any of that and how that works. I can see where you would see that and hear that and be like, oh my gosh, that's the undead. Yeah, exactly. So it's basically just normal science behind decomposition. And because they place these bodies face down as opposed to on their backs. 
Gotcha. Yeah, yes. that makes sense. I can see why they would believe that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, and yeah, they they're, they didn't have advanced medical knowledge back then. So right. It was just... And they were a lot more superstitious than we are now, too. Exactly. Yes. They had to blame somebody. Right. <laughs> so, essentially, depending on how well the how well sealed their coffins were, whether they were buried in winter versus summer, would depend on how quickly they decomposed. However, back then it was believed that you would decompose almost immediately after death. So, oh, these these were wild times for these villagers. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, none of this makes sense. Yeah. So they're like, uh, this body is supposed to be completely decomposed. They died yesterday. <laughs> when in actuality, depending on when they're buried, it depends on how quickly they decompose. Yeah. While most was unknown about death and decomposition, as I've mentioned, there was also much unknown about mental illnesses. Because, mm. duh, we used to torture people to try and better understand them. <laughs> You're right. We barely understand them now. Exactly. So some diseases which could have been construed as vampirism were tuberculosis, okay. schizophrenia, and even rabies. Okay, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, so all of these would have produced behavioral changes which would make people think they were possessed by something else. Yeah. The rabies theory is fairly interesting because those that were inflicted with it would charge at people, biting and tearing, mm -hmm. Like they were some wild beast. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. So these rural villagers had a lot of contact with wild animals. And so the mm -hmm. transmission and pass along of this disease wasn't very uncommon at that time. Gotcha. Those that died of rabies would have had resulted in similar postmortem examinations as described by our doctor friend in Serbia. The blood would not have been coagulated and hemorrhaging was common which means that the process of decomposition would have been a lot slower and probably alarming to others that exhumed these bodies. Yeah, I can see that for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ironically, during this time, rabies was running rampant in wild animals, which could have passed down their disease to these poor individuals. Gotcha. Especially because they didn't have great hygiene back then. <laughs> right, yeah. A case of this, so of rabies, was a man from Prussia he was afflicted with rabies, took refuge in his own home, and tore his newly married wife to pieces. Oh. So sad. That's awful. After this happened, he underwent another convulsion, ultimately ripping himself apart and dying from his injuries. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's just crazy what like that disease can do to you, right? And then completely understandable why people would think that you're a vampire at that point yeah or at least possessed or something yeah especially because it's like it's so out of character too mm -hmm. an interesting story that i found described how you can find a vampire Ooh, yes i have never heard of this before <laughs> okay it is said that all you require let me finish this before you say anything <laughs> So funny. So all you need is a seven-year-old boy and a white horse. What? And the, <laughs> and the boy should be dressed in all white. The pair then would take off together in a cemetery at midday. And wherever the horse stops, it is the location of a vampire. 
Um, now you can speak. Okay. <laughs> I'm unsure as to the purpose of the seven-year-old boy, but sure. And why he needs to be dressed in white. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> hmm Anyways, that's how, that's how they located vampires. <laughs> um, very interesting. <laughs> that is extremely interesting. <laughs> Another way of detecting these beings was from birth. Oh. So they would have some type of deformity. Okay. So this included a child born with teeth, which yuck. Oh my! God. Children born. I saw a picture extreme. of like people that like CGI put teeth on babies. It's, it's horrifying. <laughs> I think I know somebody whose baby was born with teeth. But oh like, my gosh! Uh, I mean, like having a baby come out of you in the first place is just gross, <laughs> and like coupled with hair, like yuck. And then if you have teeth in there, ugh. Have you ever seen a baby skull? No. Where they have, because they have like the two rows of teeth, because they have the baby teeth and then they have the adult teeth. Ew. It's. (laughs) That's vomit inducing. It is awful. I don't like that at all. (laughs) Um, Anybody who's listening, look it up. It's horrifying. Don't look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. So, children born with teeth, children born with an extra nipple. I'm looking at you, Chandler Bing. (laughs) He had the extra nipple, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. Lack of cartilage or with a red cull, which I believe is when they're born still inside the amniotic sac. That's. Oh, okay. All I could find on a red cull. So, gotcha. They're still born. So, they believe that vampires were like could be born like that not just made yes oh yes. okay yeah so that's another way of detecting vampires is that they come out with deformities okay so fascinating yeah <laughs> these types of deformities most definitely confirm that your child will return from the grave after they died of course and these beings were looked on as bad omens and evil spirits mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of course yes Interestingly enough, there are, to this day, people who identify as vampires who feed off small amounts of blood or from willing participants. Mm -hmm. They do this in an attempt to stay healthy, which is ill-advised. Please don't do it. It's very bad for you. Yeah. I've seen a couple. They have a couple documentaries on people that think they're vampires and, like, um, both the the blood-drinking vampires and, like, energy vampires. Uh, It's pretty interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, but it's dangerous because they're running the risk of overdosing on too much iron intake at that point because our bodies are getting rid. Well, and that's the thing. You don't know what the person has unless, I mean, you do extensive testing, but who has time for that? (laughs) Um, But, like, our bodies have a difficult time getting rid of excess iron Mm -hmm. so this can ultimately cause liver and nervous system damage if done improperly wow okay don't do it ladies and gents don't drink blood don't do it you can drink a little bit just don't overdo it i'm gonna stay (laughs) on the side of don't drink any but (laughs) 
their own as long as they're not killing people yeah as long i guess as long as they're consenting adults then you know what drink away exactly. buddy i'm sure there are worse things that that's consenting true adults can do to themselves so that's true so even though there are these people out there that um are into drinking blood and think that they're vampires they typically keep to themselves because they don't want to rekindle the vampire superstitions and they don't want to have a lot of crazy people coming after them trying to decapitate them oh yeah yes looking at you america <laughs> we do have a lot of crazies but I-, I would like to say that i think our crazies more likely would come at you with a gun and shoot you, you also you also had the first american serial killer like um you know and he was just, pretty messed up it just is what it is you know <laughs> <laughs> okay so i found six ways humans act like vampires and the science behind it and i thought it was actually very interesting so oh, I wanted that's to cool it. okay so it's the aversion to garlic i love so there's, garlic I love garlic so much. So much. So much. That'd be like the one reason why if someone said, hey, do you want to be a vampire? I'd be like, nah, man, I like garlic. I love garlic too much, bro. Yeah. So there are some people out there that actually have a phobia against garlic, which can cause severe panic attacks. Interesting. Okay. Yes. In Slavic countries, garlic was used to ward off evil entities, and it was believed that if you didn't eat garlic, that you were a vampire. Okay. Biting. As I discussed earlier, people can get rabies. Mm-hmm. Rabies actually attacks the nervous system, which makes people go crazy. They can potentially have an aversion to sunlight and other visual stimulus. Rabies can also cause insomnia, which could explain why some people would wander at night. The most common form of rabies is transmitted through bats, which explains the link between vampires and bats. Yeah. I think rabies for me is like the closest disease we have to like zombies. <laughs> yes. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. And I didn't like, I know it's going to sound weird, but like I didn't know much about it, rabies in humans until I was doing this research. Gotcha. So it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. But yes, it is very close to zombie type behavior. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, another way is hating mirrors. So there's another phobia that people can possess. It's called cataptrophobia. This can be triggered by a traumatic event, especially from when the individual was a child. Some people with this phobia believe that simply looking into a mirror will summon a supernatural being. And as discussed in the Bloody Mary episode, if these people look in a mirror for too long, they begin to believe the person looking back at them isn't them at all. I also hate looking in mirrors um, at night. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with them in the day, but at night yes. they creep me out. So maybe I'm a vampire. Maybe. But you don't stay up at night because you're a grandma. I used to. I used to be such a <laughs> night owl. And now I am just tired all the time. That's funny. <laughs> in my defense, I have low thyroid. So I'm tired all the time. <laughs> that's a good excuse i like it <laughs> it's real uh, i'm on medication <laughs> i believe you 
being unable to stand the sight of a mirror is also another rabies symptom, which is fascinating. And so it is believed that the folklore behind the vampire began during a rabies epidemic in the 1700s. Interesting. Do you know why uh, they don't like looking in a mirror when they have rabies? Uh, I think it's just because of the visual stimulus problems that they have. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. My dog was just snoring. I'm like, what the hell is that noise? I'm going to try and see if you can pick it up on the mic. He's, he's so he's comfy. He's literally twitching right now. <laughs> he's so comfy. Can you hear him? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a little brat. I don't understand how he starts snoring so quickly. <laughs> Feel free to leave that in if you need to. <laughs> oh my god, he's so cute. <laughs> okay, so another way is Count Dracula. There is a condition called arithmomania, which is the excessive need to count things, which, let's be real, I do not have because it would just make me cry. <laughs> that's like um uh, the count on sesame street i was just about to get into that oh sorry so it's <laughs> believed as discussed earlier that to deter a vampire you had to throw salt or seed onto the ground behind you and the vampire would have to stop and count every grain of what you dropped uh-huh. this is why the vampire muppet on sesame street is obsessed with numbers hmm. and if there's nothing around him to count he will resort to counting his fingers <laughs> Uh, another point is having fangs. Oh, yeah. There is a rare genetic disorder that is called, let me get close to my screen, hypohydrotic ectodermal dysplasia, which affects tooth development. Okay. With this disorder, teeth grow abnormally and most are actually missing, leaving only the canines to grow in, which oftentimes grow in points. Oh, gosh. Those poor people. Yeah. The final way is scorching. This is yet another rare genetic disorder, and it's called xeroderma pigmentosum. This is essentially when your body hates you, and it, can <laughs> af- and it can't effectively repair your skin after it's been in contact with ultraviolet rays. Oh, some people with this disorder even need to avoid specific types of indoor lighting because it can get so bad. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was that. And then, so I was going to read the vampire. I was going to do the vampire apocalypse calculator thing to see how long we would survive in a vampire apocalypse because there is a physicist. <laughs> his name is Dominic Cernia. And he created this calculator which calculates the probability of human versus vampire survival based off a number of different factors. Okay. We'll include the link to the calculator because I wasn't able to figure it out because it was confusing as hell. So <laughs> <laughs> if you want to try it and you want to figure it out, we'll provide the link in our show notes. Cool. Because it's super confusing. <laughs> <laughs> and I forgot to give my... Um, I pulled an Ashley and forgot to include my sources at the beginning of the episode. So Hold a me! <laughs> You're very, like, known for doing that. 
I don't know what you're referring to, Jessica. (laughs) (laughs) So I used history.com, live science, and the author was Benjamin Radford, Scientific American, and the author was Eric Michael Johnson. I used live science again, and the officer was Ramey Molina, and then I used the Omni calculator for the thing. For the apocalypse calculator thing. (laughs) The thing. The thing. (laughs) So I worked all night. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm like my dog. I wish I was snoring on the ground right now. (laughs) Well, that was really interesting. That was my second part of my third parter. I'm excited for the third part. I think vampires are so interesting and just like how we get our different folklore is really interesting to me. It's very fascinating and it's just like, it's crazy. So, yeah. Well, if you want more of us lovely ladies, you can find us on social media. We are on TikTok, uh, we're Histories and Mysteries Pod. We are on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, We are just Histories and Mysteries, all spelled out. And you can email us at historiesandmysteries515 at gmail.com. Email us with any stories you want to share, any suggestions you have for improvement, um, anything like that. We are always open to hear. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out um, to get a little bit more out there and a little bit more known. Um, And I think that's it, right, Jessica? Yeah, that's everything. And we hope to bring you two more fun stories next week. Awesome. Bye. Bye.